At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. are going to be digging deeper into this crazy Zelda fan debate about whether we should have a more classic style game or the more modern open world direction in Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom. There's been so much stuff about what Mr. Aonuma actually means. And guess what? We, you and me, we worked with him for so many years. So I'd like to think I know him a little bit better than the crazy people out there just... Oh, they're crazy now? They're crazy? <laughs> I mean, I'm crazy too. Uh-oh. But I'm we're all, saying we're all that, a like, bit crazy. We're all a little bit crazy, but we did work with him very closely right. for many years. So we can try to get into his head a little bit and explain what he might be thinking and saying um, when he's talking about the future of Zelda. Yeah, this was something we did talk about a bit in our last episode. But since then, some other videos have dropped. The capital D discourse has been working overtime. Oh. So we just need to come in off the top rope with the elbow drop to settle drop? The, to settle some scores, right? Oh, no. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So let's dig into it. Let's take a calm, educated approach to how we go about this discussion. Um, and it should be really fun. Uh, as always, everything we do here is made possible by our wonderful Patreon family. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. We're so thinking about all of our wonderful Patreon community members this, you know, sort of at the last uh, end of 2023. And just to look back on what a wonderful year we've had with their support has truly been amazing. And we're so grateful for that. So if you'd like to join us, we're at patreon.com slash Kit and Krista. Yes, we are having our final uh, meetup, virtual meetup of the year tomorrow with some of our tiers. We're going to be playing some Fall Guys, and that's just a great example of some of the exclusive content that you can only get by being a Patreon subscriber. That's right. They also get exclusive Q and A's. They get Discord to our, or they get access to our exclusive Discord ch- channel, um, and it's great. We love hanging out with them there. Cool. So this um, like is said, yeah. the final podcast of 2023. This is. And I don't want to get you too excited, but I do have a small surprise for you at the for end me? of this podcast. Some material that I have prepared for you to cap off the year. For me? For you, yes. Is it more Chaos Blades? Two more no, Chaos Blades? No, <laughs> We're recording this remotely for my safety. Um, <laughs> the Chaos Blades are, are stowed away in my closet. I have what, not yeah, what, So what happened to those? We need to, we need to know what happened to those. Well, I got to do the big, now that Christmas is officially over, and I would have opened this gift on Christmas Day, which is when we open presents, when we're allowed, when Santa allows us. Well, I mean, we released presents. the video like five days before, but okay. Uh, that, but I'm just saying, like, now that, that Christmas has officially come and gone, I can do my big photo shoot with the oh. Chaos Blades, which is going to be fun. Again. Stay tuned. The caption writes itself. Get you a girl that can do both. <laughs> you got the axe, now you got the blades. Yeah, I need to take a photo with all two. All, all two? 
Both of those, three of those, I guess, whatever. See, Kratos All never did. Kratos never did that in the games. You were there was never a stance where you had axe in one hand, blade. Well, in the other. there is a stance where he's wearing the axe on his back and he's holding the chaos. Well, blades. that's different. I mean, that's putting so it I away. I can do that. You can do that. I can do that. Okay. I can, like strap the axe to my back, back, and right. then hold the blades. Right. Huh? Huh? Uh, you know, I I don't want to take people too far behind the curtain. But there was a small bit of content we had to cut out of last week's podcast because we sadly, did? so we oh. were t- we were talking about the grand finale of our Super Mario RPG RPG stream, which surely would have been happening before the end of the year. Oh yeah, and you know, lo and behold, basically the day happened. after we recorded that, I fell ill and I'm getting there better. Some, there was some sickness, and we had to cut that out. <laughs> Because it's it would be ridiculous. People would would rightfully be making fun of us. Like, ha ha! Look what happened. But oh. we there was also a great idea in there that I do not want to let go, which is so you have been playing Mario RPG, yeah, the original and the remake side by side. I have been. It's been and really cool. I'll make the point again, and hopefully we don't have to edit it again this time. Don't say anything controversial, and we won't. You. It would be it could be very fun and interesting for you or maybe even me to play yeah. Final Fantasy VII, the right, original, right. the parts that correspond with the new with remake, the remake game yeah. that's coming out very oh so soon. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is even going to be more because Super Mario RPG follows the original pretty closely. There's yeah. like some very small changes, as I would know because I've been doing this. Um, but I think Final Fantasy VII has some huge changes so it's going to be really crazy for you to play them simultaneously and compare to see like what those are because that has been really really fun for me to do like just kind of compare the the two and um yes we will do this i will do this last time i did commit to this so i will commit once more <laughs> to this. <laughs> um, hopefully we don't have to cut it out but yes i i think it'll fun i've been really enjoying playing super mario rpg side by side like this and i've been really bummed out actually because um we haven't been able to finish our original snes super mario rpg stream so i paused my gameplay good, good. um so that i won't spoil myself Saying all eventually, the right things eventually we will finish both these games okay <laughs> that's what's gonna happen it's gonna be great Okay, it's like it's like you worked in public relations for an extended period of time. You know what to say to get the heat off your back. Eventually, we have nothing to announce at this time. We do not comment on rumors and speculation, but but eventually, it's going to be great. Stay tuned to kittenkrista.com. That's not a real. We, that is URL. not a, a website that, that exists. <laughs> do not do that. Oh, boy. we got some stuff coming to the channel soon. Uh, we will be releasing a list of our top 23 Switch games of 2023. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we we, we did our big uh, end-of-year video, which, which we shared our top 10 games, but we said we need to do more just for the Switch because the Switch had such a big year. So we came up yeah. with 23 ga- ga- great games. That's coming out real soon. And then... Around the time of the new year, we have our most anticipated games list for 2024, and Q1's busy. I'm getting in my 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 rest and my game snacking now while I can because right. come January, 
going to be it's it's happening all Hunkering over down. again. Yeah, you were trying to make your list for anticipated games of 2024 and immediately freaked yourself out. You were like, "Oh no, I'm back. I'm back here again in my 2023 like nonstop gaming treadmill. I'm back on the treadmill in 2024 Q1 because there is a lot of stuff coming out all within that first sort of 3 months of the year." So yeah, it's going to be exciting um, to kick off the year, I think, with a lot, a ton of games to play, which is going to be great. This year, there's no Fire Emblem Engage, no Fool's Gold to throw me off exactly. my, mas- my that master was plan. Of desperation, we play yes. that game of pure January boredom. None which of that. is the worst kind of boredom. No. The post-holiday blues, I'm telling you, no. is what happened. And lastly, we typically don't do this because we don't plan that far ahead. But uh, next week's podcast oh, is going to be a, is going to be one you will not want to miss. As is the tradition, heading into 2024, we have 24 predictions for the year yes. that we would like to share with you, the good yeah. viewer slash listener. Yeah, it was really fun to do these this year. I'm like, what year is this? We did this at the beginning of 2023, 23 predictions for 2023. And then just a few weeks ago, we did a look back. We actually held ourselves very accountable. And we did a look back of and reviewed our 23 predictions to see how we did. And we actually did pretty good. Like, I was really impressed with that. It was mostly good. Hopefully we can keep that streak going. I have been working on my predictions a little bit here and there. Oh, I do think next year is a bit trickier predictions wise. Yeah. I think there's a lot more variables that could fall into play, mm-hmm. a lot more that's unknown going into the year. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Don't give anything Don't away. Spoil it. Just saying. Don't spoil it. No, I will not. Yeah. Yeah. But that's gonna be fun. Yes, I I do I do think you're right that we're gonna have to dig a little deeper for the 2024 20, predictions, but Mm, I got high hopes for next year. I think we're going to have a great year. It's going to be, it's going to be good. Prediction one: It's going to be awesome. Oh, so well, I mean, those optimistic. are your words, not mine. Such a glass half full kind of person. <laughs> All right, we're so going to talk is, about dream. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. This is our this is our holiday break podcast. So we're on the streamlined. Uh, format for this week. Oh, uh, yes. We are doing games we're playing, and then we're getting into an extended uh, community Q&A, and that's it. We got nothing right. else. We got no sponsors. We got no news. We got nothing else. Yeah, just because we want to give ourselves a little break from each other. Um, just kidding, too. Uh, and of course, we're going to be talking deeply about the Zelda thing. As it, yes. That is the first question. That, that is the we first received. question. But first, a couple games that we have been playing so I have fallen back into Cyberpunk 2077 because the Phantom Liberty DLC came out this year. That was the rare game that I really wanted to check out this year that I just didn't have time for. I played the original game, the base game. We both played it about a year and a half ago when the next-gen patch came out. Really liked it. And I was very excited to get to the DLC, but again, I just didn't have time. So this is kind of my big holiday break game now. So I got the DLC, and the game right away gives you some interesting choices about how you can play that content. So you can um, make just a fresh game 
off the bat starting starting fresh and you can experience it during a full playthrough but there is also an option to make a new character and have them jump right to that content because that content is not ha- like first thing that happens in the game i think it right. happens a fair bit into the game i'm actually not there yet at all so um, you chose the first path which is to just kind of replay the entirety of the game i chose to play it all over again because honestly it's not a very long game i think right. i finished it in under 20 hours um, and I'd been hearing so much about how this new update adds so much, changes so much. I just wanted to see it for myself because this is a game that I already liked a lot and it's like, Hey, yeah, I'd, I'd love to experience, uh, you know, an even better version of that. So that's what I did. But, but having that option to just jump straight to the DLC mm-hmm. and they kind of like auto level your character there. Oh, so that's cool. I think that's a nice option for people who just kind of want to want to get to that. Yeah. Get, get in and out on that, especially if, if they've already played it. How are you feeling replaying it, though? Because is it like, do you feel like it's worth your time? Are you remembering a lot from your first playthrough? Or did you do something completely different where it feels fresh? So all of this stuff that's in this this latest round of, of updates doesn't feel like as hugely impactful as maybe mm. some people have been setting it up to be. Oh, okay. It's a lot of kind of small tweaks all over the Quality place. But there's life. not any one thing where I'm like, oh my God, this completely changes everything. I guess the biggest thing is I think the skill tree, I've, I've seen people saying like they added like a whole lot more skills that weren't there before. Um, they added um, car combat in, in a pretty oh. substantial way and, and you can level yourself up in that. That's not the, I'm not going to be leveling up in that, but that is something new that they added. Um, they did. It's funny. So when I played the first time, I, I, I finished the game and I was like, hey, there's that whole system where you're putting in the cybernetic implants and stuff, which makes you the quote cyberpunk. Yes. I basically didn't do anything with that whole system because it was kind of out of the way. They didn't really explain you it very see the, well. That crazy doctor. Right. I just missed it. Yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> hilariously, like one of the big, you know, fun things to do in the game, like I just didn't do any of it because it's I was weird that the, the, the title of the game doesn't really make you do that game mechanic, which is kind of interesting. Right. It's an interesting approach. Right. So they, they do in that early tutorial, when you go see that doctor, they, they do lay it out a bit more yeah. clearly and a bit more methodically, which is good for people like mm-hmm. me. So I will be paying attention more to that. This, this, this playthrough again, that that's something that I really wanted to spend more time with during this playthrough. And then the other thing is at the beginning, you kind of choose a background for your character. Right. There's three. Ch- I there's- picked wrong. So you I said you like- picked the corpo. Corpo. <clears throat> and that's what I chose this time. And I'm actually oh. liking it quite a bit. Oh, what, really? what did you, what did you like not it. like about it? I didn't want to be a corporate chill. <laughs> I don't know why I picked it. It was weird because it's not. But what did like- you not like about it? I don't know. I just thought the skills were kind of like boring. Like he's like, oh, you can talk to people. I thought it was hilarious that in the beginning, so it's it's not even a spoiler alert because it happens in the first 10 minutes. Like something happens, you get kicked out of the the corporation. Right, right. But in those first 10 minutes, in your HUD, you have a giant stock ticker. In the bottom yeah. corner, I thought yeah. it was hilarious. You're like you're like losing it in like you the basically have bathroom. like you have like an Outlook calendar in your HUD too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny to be this corporate. I scum. didn't like it. I didn't want to be corporate scum. I wanted to be something else, and I should have picked like this the street character. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't find any of those origin stories to be that 
Yeah, it basically just gives you some different dialogue options. But I yeah. did really like that first ten minutes setup, establishing like what you're doing and, and how right. you get out into the world. I like that a lot. So so that's yeah. cool. It's true. It's true. Um, in the back of my mind, I have been just making like some mental comparisons between this game and Starfield because yeah, they're both mm. you know these big first person RPGs, kind of more streamlined RPGs you know, where everything happens in a very action oriented way. And it's not looking good for Starfield in this comparison, (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Because cyberpunk is just such a vibrant world that you are in. So true. And everywhere you look, like you can tell that there was just a lot of attention to detail put into everything and it just feels like a really alive place that's a fun place to be. Whereas yeah. Starfield it can be a little bland. Even when you're in the quote big cities, like yeah. there's kind of not much there. There's kind of nothing yeah. happening. It doesn't look that great. And yeah, there's such cool stuff that happens when you get into space or when you go on an, an alien planet. But I mean, this game, you know, first came out like three years ago or so at this point. Like it is trouncing Starfield in terms of just atmosphere and immersion and and all of these other things. I think the thing about cyberpunk that I really enjoyed is that they don't really play it safe in terms of the environments you're in or like the people you meet. Like they're very much like, we're going to go for it. Like there are some very adult things in this game. Yeah. And like, it can actually make you feel like a little uncomfortable because they really go for it. They do not like, they don't beat around the bush, you know, about like any of that stuff. And so it just feels very almost like real and yeah, very vibrant. Um, yeah, there are like, there are definitely moments where like there are interactions. I was like, Oh, oh I'm really going for it this time. Um, where you don't, you're, you don't get that as much with Starfield, which I think they just kind of played a little safe um, in some of those areas where it feels like they don't push that too far. They try to make everything sort of like, oh, it, you know, this is kind of like scratching the surface of what this might be like, but you're not right. really going that deep. Also, after we finished Cyberpunk the first time, we both got a bit into kind of the lore of the world, and I got all those mm-hmm. tabletop books, and we watched yeah. the Netflix show, and I got all these other books. That too, world so. building is so incredible. So it's fun to experience it again and know a little bit more of like what's going on and how things got this way and who these cert like who is Keanu Reeves character? Like there's like 20 pages on him in this lore, in this lore book of backstory. Yeah. So I'm, I'm having a great time with it. Um, I'm glad I'm starting from the beginning. It's just, you know, a game that I, I like a lot and I don't often have the chance to go back to games that I've played. Yeah. So it's, so it's fun to replay something. I was going to ask you if it made you want to watch the, um, the animated series again, because that was I so might. Yeah, I might. Good. And like one of the best songs ever is that sequence where they're on the moon together. Yeah. It's so good. I, I still listen to that song sometimes because I really love that. I really love that series. And they so got some anyone, Polish bangers. They really On that soundtrack. The Polish. They really know how to tell your heart. We got to go to Poland. That's what we got to do. Oh, I'd love to go to Poland. We gotta that would be it. great. I heard yeah. it's beautiful. Sign us up. Um, uh, please. Invite us. <laughs> we love to, <laughs> to come visit you. Um, yes, yes. But that's great. I'm so happy that you're like back in into the world I of am. cyberpunk. You? I'm I'm like very fully in God of War because again, Still. I got Chaos Blades in real life. So I really need to just like get in there. So I've now beaten the Valhalla DLC on oh, like really? the middle, di- whatever. The, it's not the highest difficulty. It's but, like, like the, the default. 
The default, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Um, so then I've started playing it on a higher difficulty um, to see like what that's like. It's pretty challenging. So it, like I was men- mentioning before, like this is pretty cool where it's kind of like Hades where you go through the sort of the, you go through these doorways and then you go into um, parts of the world that's like procedurally generated. And then like, you don't know which one you're going to land in. And you get these random glyphs that basically augment your skill for that run. Um, uh, so, you know, you it kind of changes up your gameplay every time. And yeah, the, the enemies get like, you know, more and more challenging. There's like little boss fights that you have to do. And you're unlocking the story a little at a time. Um, the story is quite good. So it's very motivating for you to keep going and go through it. Did um, you find out who invited you? Yes. To Valhalla? Not going to tell you. Do not say anymore. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to say Stop. <laughs> I know. Um, but it's really good. It's really, really good. And yeah, it, it's kept me invested. I, I'm I, Again, I'm even attempting it on more difficulty just to see how I do. Um, but it's just, it's really fun. It's just, it's like fun and um, easy to just kind of like play a little bit and put it down. Um so I've been liking that. I, I have been in my game snack phase because it's been the holidays and I'm busy with some other like, you know, family stuff. And I want to do like other holiday things too, like watch, you know, Christmas movies and things like that. So I don't want to like spend every night just gaming by myself because that's kind of lame. Um, so I've been doing God of War in like these little bursts, which is perfect. And then I've been really, really liking the holiday stuff in Disney Dreamlight Valley. And I can play that game while I watch holiday movies or while I'm doing something else like switch handhelds. And they have this holiday star path thing. That's so much fun. And I always wished like, maybe this is really mean and people will disagree with me, but I kind of didn't love the animal crossing like holiday Stuff. I thought it was like okay. Whoa, whoa, uh, be more specific, please. Like jingle is cute. You mean like the Christmas Day stuff? Yeah. Or just like the the decorations or what? The decorations were okay. I like the decorations a lot. The decorations were okay. Um, but yeah, like I felt like it could have been like better. I don't know. Uh, the Disney one is really good though. Like it, mm. I think this is the best version of like a holiday kind of event. Really? Um, that I've ever played in any game ever. Any like, game? Any game ever. Oh my gosh. Like it's so like it's so involved because it it lasts for a long time. You're very motivated because every day you get like these new tasks to complete. Um that gives you more holiday decorations that are adorable and cute and you want them. And it's all like a little bit quest based as well. So you're like doing stuff with the characters, you can unlock different variants for the characters, like you can unlock Winter Bell which I have to have. Um, so I think it's really well done. And like you, I basically just play, I'm like very motivated to play every day because every day it like changes. Um, so it just feels like really robust. And yeah, I've been really enjoying just like watching holiday movies and hanging out and playing this and like doing a little bit of my Disney holiday star path every day, which is really cool. Now you said something to me that I want to ask about. You said that the decorations that you get are maybe kind of equally holiday and winter themed where it's like the day after Christmas, I'm not motivated to put it away. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So like 
you can get very Christmas decorations. Like you've seen my valley. It's like a giant Christmas tree in front of my house right now. Like I'll probably take that down soon. But the star path has like items that are just like cute wintry items. Like um, you can get an ice skating rink, for example, that's like super nice and like really, really cute. But it's not like Christmas ice skating yeah. rink. It's just like winter. Um so they have items like that to decorate your village. So I feel like, again, it feels like you're not going to have to just stop playing it immediately when Christmas is over. You can still keep going a little bit longer, um, at least until like the next sort of like season. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super cute. Like there, it's like a generically winter, but kind of has like a frozen feel to it. So people like frozen like that is, you know, kind of the thematic of all the winter. Items I've never seen frozen. Oh, that's so sad. Should I? Yes. The first and second one are so good. Really? You should totally see it. Okay. It's about people that are like sort of like you, <laughs> like Swedish. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, I don't know where Arendelle is, but it's, it seems to be oh, like my Norwegian. Hometown. Yes. You're, oh, you're from Arendelle. Oh, oh yeah. good. <laughs> Didn't you tell? <laughs> they have thing. They have people named Sven, which feels like a relative. I don't know, Kristoff. That could be you. <laughs> I had lunch today with my uncle. His name is Leif. Uh, his son's name is Lars. So there you go. There you go. That's what I'm saying. You should yeah. watch this movie for your heritage. <laughs> <laughs> it's very culturally accurate. I'm sure. Okay, it's very accurate. Okay, I'll very. put that on the backlog. Good. But anyways, <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. It's fun. I, I think that this is, I will say this again, this is the best holiday theme game I've played. Good. Ever. So Wonderful. Go. Well, those are the little games we're playing. And well, let's, let's jump right into these questions. So we have a bigger uh, question and answer section than usual, because we've been sitting, we just sit on so many great questions mm-hmm. every week. So this is the time to go uh, a little bit big on it. So I think we have 10 questions that we're going to do today. And as always, we get them all from our Patreon community. Our first is from silver six, four, seven, seven. This is the one that we were talking about at the top. Hey, Kit and Krista. I know you saw the Arlo video breaking down the recent wave of interviews given by Zelda series producer, AG Alnuma. I was wondering if you had any comments or takes on his suggestion that Mr. Alnuma is taking the series in the wrong direction. So yes, this is the video that came <clears throat> Shortly, you know, around the same time that our last podcast episode came out. So we, mm-hmm. you know, we hadn't seen it. We hadn't had a chance to to react to it then. But I do recommend that everybody who's interested in this topic watch that. There are some people who are like, you know, reacting to just the internet chatter without actually watching the video. People need to so stop doing that, by the I way. Think it, I think it's good yeah. to actually watch the video to know what we're, what we're talking about here. Right. Have you seen the video? Of course I have. Okay. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> Good. So, yeah, so let's get into this. So, so last week, just to catch people up, you know, I, th- I think kind of our main point last week was we need to recognize that pre-Breath of the Wild, the Zelda series was in a more precarious position than people may have thought or may have understood where, you know, the sales were not on an upward trajectory, um, you know, the when fan you can, base was sort of dwindling the, as well. The fan base was Aging. dwindling. Yeah, you know, there was this kind of core base of legacy Zelda fans, but it wasn't really bringing in new people. There were other right. games and sort of the same genre that were doing a lot of exciting new things, where it felt like Zelda was just kind of 
you know, repeating a lot of the same formula back and forth. And I did see, you know, I, we always look at the comments. I did see some people saying like, oh, well, you know, that's a strange narrative to be pushing. Let me, it's not a narrative. It's actually fact. I was, I was in those focus groups. I saw the data. I saw everything. I talked I mean, to people. The sales data. Like, look these at, are just, facts. Just look at the public sales data. Right. These are, these are facts. So that was kind of the main point that we made <clears throat> last week. And, you know, so, so, you know, we're talking specifically about this interview that was in, in IGN. And one thing I thought as I read the interview was I would love to be a fly on the wall to just see Mr. Alnuma's face when he got asked that question. Right. Because, you know, as Silver6477 points out, he is the producer of the Zelda series. And people might wonder, what does the producer do? What is his responsibility? What is his job description? So it means he is responsible for every aspect of the Zelda franchise. So he's responsible for, are these games popular? Uh, are the games making money? You know, are these mm-hmm. budgets not getting out of control? Are you making mm-hmm. more than, than you're spending? Is the series culturally relevant? You know, are there other things outside of games that you should be pursuing to, to meet these goals that you're doing? So a lot so, of like really big things right. that he's dealing with and big broad picture things stuff. too. Big right. picture. Exactly. Right. So, you know, I think from his perspective, he's like, well, I'm here uh, t- because I got nominated for Game of the Year for the second time in a row for my game that the first one sold 30 million copies. The next one's well on a way to uh, pass, you know, it's going to pass 30 million as, as well. I think I'm doing my job as good or better as I ever have. So right. I think he may have been a little taken aback even to get asked that question in the first place. He's like, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think we're yeah. doing great. Yeah, but it would have been really different if this this question was asked when the series was really, you know, floundering or it was not doing so well. Um, and, you know, just to set the stage even a little bit better, I think we touched on this um, in the last sort of discussion we had about this, is like Mr. Anuma really is the person that is responsible for this, like, breaking the the paradigm or like the breaking the conventions of Zelda, the Zelda series, like his big thing that he orchestrated, that he led this sort of new wave um, for the series was this idea of breaking some of these conventions. That's like his thing. Like he started this way before Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom. He started this way back during Link Between Worlds, like when we were working on that game with him, that was when that first seedling of the idea of wanting to break some of these very sort of like don't touch these conventions, conventions, wanting to sort of break away from them to find some more freedom and creativity. Like this was like the the core of what he was trying to do. So again, I think that feeds back into what his reaction might have been when he was asked this question, because he's like four years for like 15 years, I've been trying to or like 13 years, I've been trying to like, break the conventions. And I did that. And I sold 50 million copies collectively of all of these games that did that. Um, and got nominated for a game of the year twice, like, why are you asking me this question? You know, so like, he's like, what I the the work that I did for like, 10 plus, you know, almost 15 years has led up to this. And I think it's going pretty good. <laughs> so why are you asking me? The other thought that I had, and, 
to kind of relate back to that, I'll, I'll share an experience or something that I often feel when I consume media. So you know that I would listen to like reaction podcasts when I was listening to some of these like Star Wars shows. Like I'm, I'm watching the new Mandalorian season and after yes, every episode, like I'll listen to the podcast to hear what they have to say. And I actually stopped doing that because these people would get so caught up like halfway into the season of like, is the thing going to happen at the end? It's going to be make or break if the thing doesn't happen. I'm getting stressed out. I think it's going to suck. And it's like, can we let this play out before we have the panic attack about the thing that does or doesn't happen? And I kind of think that's a little bit of what's happening here Mm -hmm. where where people see like, you know, one line in an, in an interview where now people are starting to question the, the translation yeah. of it. And it's like, oh, the door's closed. This is never going to happen. We're, you know, it is what it is. It's over. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, let's let's let the future play out a little bit and see what happens. Like, yeah, no one you know, has a crystal ball, but let's take a more just reasonable approach. So I'll take a deep breath. Right. Because, I mean, I don't think... 2D Zelda games are gone for good, and those definitely right. play more in the classic um, Zelda paradigm. It has been a while. You know, we had the Link's Awakening remake. That was kind of the last mm-hmm. big one. But I do think we're due, and I, and I do think... I mean, I know that's something that they are not eager to leave behind, and they see a valuable purpose for those games, too. Yeah. So that's something that gives me, you know, confidence that it's not just, this is it. <laughs> That was another thing that I wanted to bring up, and I feel like we've also talked about this a lot, but this is something that we heard directly when we were working at Nintendo on Zelda games, where it's like we see a specific purpose for these 2D Zelda games. These are, you know, sometimes or at times a smaller, more contained experience, and we see them filling a necessary gap between these bigger, you know, Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom-like experiences that take seven-plus years to develop. Um, You can't wait that long. (laughs) You can't make people wait, you know, 10 years between releases. That's really difficult to maintain your audience that way. So Nintendo, you know, knows that and has a specific purpose of using these more, you know, contained 2D Zelda experiences games to fill those gaps so I think that's what they're going to do and keep doing. And that's going to be the sort of like two-pronged approach to the Zelda series is what we're going to continue to see. We're going to see maybe a more, you know, traditional, traditional in quotes, um, Zelda experience, maybe with the 2D games. And then maybe the the other bigger Zelda experience is something that is, you know, different or, or just bigger or not, you know, so set to the Zelda formula. Um, yeah, so, I think so, that works. So the 2D games are one thing. You know, Arlo really seemed to focus more on the traditional 3D games. And you know, Mr. Aonuma does keep going back to this point of thinking that the dungeons in Tears of the Kingdom are closer to that classic genre. We, they had that weird interview that came out like days before the game came out. He was reinforcing a lot of that same stuff again in this interview. He can't obviously come out and say like, yeah, we screwed that up. It's not it's not what we thought. But I think going into it, I think they thought like, yeah, we did a better job with these dungeons. And I don't think a lot of people feel that way. I don't feel that way. I don't think you feel that way. 
But I think maybe they talk themselves into that. So I think when they, and maybe they've already done this, when they really post-mortem this game and when they really look at a lot of the comments and, you know, get, get, da- get data from all the different groups at Nintendo, I think maybe they'll realize like, yeah, we could have done a better job with that. And we could have delivered a stronger traditional dungeon experience. Because I, I think they felt they did it because they, they keep yeah. saying that. That was really interesting because we were like really surprised. I remember at the time and, and now when I look back on that interview, the developer talk um, from Tears of the Kingdom, we were like, wow, they re- they really like confirmed it like that. Like the Nintendo tweet was Zelda developers confirmed Dungeons are back. so like, definitive. That was the tweet. And we were like, wow, that's really like going for it, you know? Because yeah. And then I think it made us all realize and when we were just, you know, playing the game and, and thinking about the game and talking about the game – and, and doing the dungeons in Tears of the Kingdom, I think we all came to the realization like, oh, wow, like everybody's definition of a traditional Zelda dungeon is so different. Like we have such a wide range of what makes a Zelda dungeon a Zelda dungeon. And I, I imagine that is what happened to them, the developers as well. Like they must have all, we must have all had sort of a different definition of what this is. And they talked themselves into thinking that their definition was sufficient. Um, but a lot of, I think a lot of, you know, Zelda fans um, disagree with that. So, yeah, I hope that they do take take that feedback so, and, and work it into the next thing. Yeah. So, again, I think it's a rare case of them misreading their own game and how people would react to that. But, again, he was doing this interview because – he was potentially getting game of the year for this game. So he can't come out and say like, yeah, that was awful. Or, right. oh, let me tell you about what we're doing next. It's going to be exactly what these fans want. Like he can't do that. Right. You know, he has a very like narrow scope of answers that he can give in this mm-hmm. interview. Exactly. Let's understand that too. Uh, there's a lot of things that he cannot say and is not allowed to say in this sort of interview setting. Mm-hmm. That's uh, important to note. I think maybe one other factor that that maybe people are not as clear on is just Nintendo's perspective on nostalgia and nostalgia as a purpose for continuing to make games. Like Nintendo is very anti-nostalgia. Yeah. They don't care. They don't like these. There, there, there are so many examples where, you know, things that, that you might think are these, you know, treasured pieces of gaming history. Like it's just in somebody's desk. It's like a crumpled mm-hmm. up piece of paper in somebody's yeah. desk. Or, and if, it, if they lose it, they, they don't care. Right. It's not like they're like going to be sad about losing this piece of history. They're right. Like, Whatever. It is always about moving forward. It is always about what's next. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've had some good, uh, you know, some good opportunities to recognize the past and, you know, them opening up a museum is, I think, a good step towards that. But it is not something that motivates them. It is not something, you know, that 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 they want to continue to revisit in games over and over. I think they realize like, well, when you, you know, when you're focused on nostalgia only, you've kind of already lost. And right. that's that's what you are. And it's harder to set a new path for the future. So I think that's very smart. But, you know, I think people, you know, latch on to the thing that they like, obviously, and to pe- different people like different things. So as the train keeps moving from that station. They can, I can understand why they might feel left behind, behind. but Nintendo's like, we're going. Yeah, get on board or get left behind is what Nintendo's mentality is. And on that same note, Nintendo, like not to sound like really like harsh, but they kind of don't care about like 
the, the thing that, that that does motivate them is like expanding their audience. So like the really core Nintendo fans, like the 2 million people that bought Twilight Princess, I'm one of them. Um, you know, they, they're like, yeah, you're, you're fine. Like, whatever. We're not going to cater to you. Like you're going to be there anyway. We, we kind of don't need to do a lot of work to get you to buy the next Zelda game. Like you're going to buy it. You might complain, but you're going to buy it. What they do care about is like all the people that have never played Zelda because that old formula was too difficult for them to get into the franchise or or too you know um, hard or whatever. Like they they care about expanding their audience. They want new people as many as possible, thirty million perhaps, to get on board. Um, and so they're going to focus on on that audience, you know. And I think the writings on the wall, like Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, sold you know, so well for them. They, I mean, a lot of people are now saying like Breath of the Wild is my first Zelda experience. Now I'm a fan. That is what the Nintendo wants. That's their intention of, of what they wanted to do all along. So they're going to continue to like double down on that side um, and not really worry about the people that, you know, that may be the, the very, you know, small number of people compared to the, the new growing audience of Zelda fans um, that are still thinking about the past formula. Yeah, and it doesn't mean there can't be other games beyond these. Um, I do think we're due, you know, they've said with these two games, they're also starting fresh onto something new. We don't know what that is. Um, that's exciting to think about. Yeah. So, yeah, again, I think, you know, let's all just, you know, kind of take a deep breath, get some context and, and get a better understanding. I do have two kind of like, let's be adults type comments to oh. wrap it up with. That's your time. <laughs> the first is like, I, I do not like this trend of singling out individual developers in these sorts of negative ways. So, you know, we've seen it like with Pokemon and Mr. Masuda and it'll happen, yeah. you know, with other fan bases as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are people who are part of large development teams, which are part of billion big dollar corporations. corporations. Like yeah. there's always a bigger fish who is pulling strings Exactly. On somebody, like no matter what. Yeah. And like even Mr. Furukawa has got, you know, the board of directors, board of directors. and share, shareholders and, yeah. and all sorts yeah. of things. He has to answer are, to somebody. <clears throat> right. So it's, you know, calling him out as an auteur, I think was uh, incorrect. And, you know, I think the, the one person who is an auteur is Kojima. And I think, you know, his games reflect that and they're strange in a lot of ways that are very uncompromising. But yeah. Nobody Not at Nintendo is operating like that. Nobody at Nintendo is like Kojima. Right. And I think, you know, these reactions where these people get singled out will continue to make Nintendo withdraw from the public eye even further. Be like, well, right. we need to protect Mr. Aonuma. So if people are going to react to this when he when he does an interview, he just won't do an interview. It's great. He can yeah, spend more time making games. Yeah. It's a win-win. They already don't want you to they already don't want you to see him <clears throat> anyway. Right. I mean, we when we were on the PR team, on, on the communications team, getting any kind of developer interview access, like that was the hardest thing ever to do. So yeah, seeing these kinds of reactions will make Nintendo 100% like iron curtain down on you seeing the developers ever again. Right. And he's the guy doing the interview because he's, you know, he's the producer, he's the spokesperson. And, and honestly, at Nintendo's being a spokesperson is a very... Um, unfriendly role to have where it's like yeah. you have not that much to gain, but a lot to lose with just one slip of the tongue. So, you know, I think he's, he's being very careful. And again, he's given, you know, parameters of, of what he can and can't say. So 
that's just one thought on that. My other thought, and maybe this can be our, our closing thought on this, is just it is good to embrace change in your life in general, <laughs> whether it be a video game or other things, <laughs> because it will happen. Yes. It may happen in, with circumstances that are outside of your control. And I think the more we can all just roll with it a little bit, yes. accept that change is a part of Open life. Open your heart. <laughs> maybe we can just get through these situations a little bit easier. Thank you so much for coming to our TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow, what a way to end this. I I have nothing else to say on this topic. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, Gartooth has our next question. Hi, Kit and Krista. I've been thinking about the public response to iterative sequels this year, like Tears of the Kingdom and Spider-Man 2, where the games are heralded as great but did not inspire as much of a passionate response. Something I've wondered is whether audiences have just kind of moved on from wanting iterative sequels in general. I think they were great when game development times used to be shorter and it would take only a year or two to see the next entry of a popular series, such as in the 80s and 90s with some games like Mega Man that were famous for this. But now when we see iterative sequels like Spider-Man 2 and Tears of the Kingdom take five or six years to develop, I think a lot of fans are wishing they would have just gotten a full refresh in the franchise instead. What do you think about this? And it's funny because not long ago, we were, we, again, we were like, how did they release these three Grand Theft Auto games on the PlayStation 2 in the span of like a couple years? Yeah, on like the same two, generation? Three years. How did this happen? Unbelievable. They must have never slept at all. <clears throat> um, but yes, what a, what a, uh, intelligent question from guard tooth um it's so true that you know obviously everybody is going to react stronger or have a more intense lasting memory of a fresh new game like we all were wowed the first time you swung around like that in the first spider-man game you know we were we were all like breathlessly you know you know, consuming that game and, and just completely blown away by what you could do. Um, obviously, I think in in the two examples that Gartooth gives around Tears of the Kingdom and Spider-Man 2, like these two games were sort of like the culmination of what the first game's foundation was. And I, I certainly enjoyed that aspect of it, but I don't think it's ever going to like hit the same way that the first games hit. Um and so that that comes with some consequences because uh, you know these two games kind of you know didn't get as much critical acclaim I think as the first ones did. Um, I'm not sure if de- I guess development cycles can have something some some of the effect, but I just feel like that is what it is. Like we just as humans we're so fickle, like we just like the new shiny object. So I'm not even sure if a if a uh, shorter development time between iter- iterative sequels would have made much of a difference. I think it's just like, it's not brand new. And so we're going to be not as surprised. You can only surprise somebody one time, you know, with the, with that thing. So yeah, I, I feel like if you want that kind of thing, it has to be like this fresh new experience. And, we, and we've talked about how we feel about Tears of the Kingdom versus Breath of the Wild with Spider-Man 2. I feel like this series has for me at least, has gotten better substantially with every entry, where I thought I thought Miles Morales was better than the first one. I thought this is better than Miles Morales by, by a pretty significant margin. So, but yeah, but I understand like there's people that, that feel differently about it. I, I think, the, you know, the thing these games have in common is these, these impossibly intricate, massive open worlds where I think it's just 
natural when you're done making a game of like, there's more that we can do with this. There's so much more. This is such a great setting that we've created. We put so much effort into all the detail and making it fun to get around and do stuff in. Like, let's not just throw that away forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've learned with Sony, like they're concerned about the costs of the games. That's something that we've been saying for a while. And now we have kind of more definitive proof of that. Oh my so gosh, I, I can understand again, like why people would say like, Yes, do as much as you can with this. Don't put the effort and spend the money to make a new New York when you can just, you know, add Brooklyn into it and and you know, say, "Hey, we got something that's kind of new." So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paths that we're going down with modern development that are very different than how things were in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And I do think at some point more developers will try to break away from it but we're not there yet yeah. is my feeling. I feel like we're starting to get there though, because it is very unreasonable to have these ridiculous timelines budgets. And I think just the sheer manpower required to make something like this is, is really unsustainable for the games industry. So I do hope that there is some change because I don't think this is super healthy the way that we're kind of going down this path. Um, but I think people are starting to realize that now, which is good. Sony, make a Patapon game. I promise it won't cost $200 million. <gasps> ah, $200 million. <laughs> Jean-Marc D has a question that's not about Zelda. When interviewing candidates for Nintendo, have you ever had people that did not play games or did not play Nintendo games? Would you still have hired them if everything else was good? So to be clear, like liking, you know, Nintendo or or being a avid Nintendo game player was not a requirement to work there. I mean, yes, of course, you want to hire people that at least had a passion for Nintendo. You know, you want people that um, want to work hard to, uh, you know, to help Nintendo. But if they had, you know, strong skills for the job requirement, like the gaming part is not a requirement. Yeah, it was not ever like written in a, in a job description. I think those were the best employees, though, were like the people who were like a great at what was written on the job description, but also had the passion and the knowledge. And there were there were departments who kind of got a reputation for, yeah, they're great at, you know, whatever specialty is, but like they kind of need a lot of help when it comes to, you know, in marketing, integrating the game or getting the right mm-hmm. messaging or information. And you know, they eventually got that, but they needed a bit more handholding to get there. So yeah. yeah, I think that's, you know, maybe a misconception of, you know, maybe people who want to get into the industry thinking like my passion or my knowledge should be my main selling point with, well, depending on the, the job, like there's probably some other skill that you need to have and is actually even more important than that. Yeah, definitely think the first and most valuable skill is your ability to do the job itself, regardless of what the brand it is. Right. Um, you, if you want to be in, you know, like accounting, you need to know how to like do math <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and not just play like 200 hours of Zelda. You don't need to know a lot about games to do accounting. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely it. And Nintendo, working at Nintendo is like working at any other company, like truly. Um, of course, 
it's a great product. So if you like the product, even better. But if you had every skill, knock that out of the park of doing that job, then the gaming part of it didn't didn't matter. Yeah. Maverick Nate asks, Hi Kit and Krista, do you think Nintendo and other developers will see the success of Sea of Stars and reconsider how viable this kind of RPG is by focusing on and developing other similar experiences? I've seen a lot of comparisons between Sea of Stars and Nintendo's dormant Golden Sun series, so I'm curious if you think a return to this series is a possibility for Nintendo, or is Camelot too busy developing other Mario sports games to be worried about this RPG series anymore? Thanks. Yeah, this is another one where I think, you know, while there's a lot of nostalgic, small core fans for it, um, Nintendo is really looking at how they can expand their audience. And so they're they're probably not as interested in bringing back like dormant, um, you know, RPG series. But I, I certainly think that they're looking around them at, you know, things that have been successful, um, like Sea of Stars, like that sort of type of RPG uh, used to be a pretty niche audience. And I think that has gotten a lot better with games like Sea of Stars. Um, so I think maybe as a way to inspire Nintendo to know that like, oh, there there could be a broader audience out there that would enjoy this type of game. Like that could be a little spark of inspiration, but I don't feel like they're in a rush to, you know, resurrect any of these like very niche dormant series. I feel a bit differently. I think... You know, Sea of Stars was a big seller. Like, it sold millions of copies. And I think this generation, Nintendo's really seen the power of, of role-playing games. Obviously, you know, with Xenoblade, um, you know, being becoming extremely popular and a lot of, you know, other, other games kind of outside of what Nintendo's making. I think they have just kind of a logjam. They, they need to reshuffle the development situation between the Mario Sports games and Golden Sun. But I, I do think we could see that series come back. Um, you know, maybe not immediately, but I do think people are, are thinking about it. What I think, what I need to happen is I need Square Enix to be paying attention to this and do something with Chrono Trigger, please. Yeah, give me, we give want me my two D HD two D version of Chrono Trigger or Forget something. Chrono Golden Trigger Sun. Yes. Chrono Trigger is where it's at because the Stars is basically Chrono Trigger. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> so it is a letter to Square Enix saying, "Do something." Yes. We've taken matters that. into our own hands. I think that has what are you going to do? I think that has a much better success rate, like like um chance of success than Golden Sun. You never know a Square Enix. Golden Sun is <laughs> Who knows about Golden Sun? You're not a big days. Golden Sun fan, I'm learning out. Well, I mean, no, but yeah, also put it all out there. How do you feel about Golden Sun? I mean, it's just eh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's just eh. Fine. Pikmin Sneezkov's next. Hi, Kitten. I wonder if uh, Pikmin Sneezkov lost, lost another, another bet. Uh, another another bet. Not to change his profile picture, but his uh, his name this time. We have Directed by Love. Before oh, it was nice. directed by Alan Smithy, and I don't actually know who Alan Smithy is. Love is better than Alan Smithy. Okay. I had an idea for a fully 3D Super Smash Brothers that I came up with, and I would like to hear your thoughts on it. I believe a 3D Super Smash Brothers could offer thrilling Smash gameplay we all know and love, but with immersive character and world interactions, something not possible in 2D Smash. 
Picture this, Delfino Plaza, fully three-dimensional environment from Super Mario Sunshine, playable character Inkling from Splatoon. Splatoon is a 3D series, and thus their moveset from the original games can be brought into 3D Smash Brothers, which again, isn't quite there yet with 2D Smash yet. As Inkling, you can paint the walls of Delfino Plaza and thus swim through and hide in them while preparing for ambush attacks, just like in the original game of Splatoon with Turf War. What do you think of this? Sounds hard. This sounds like a completely different game. Well, yes, that too. But yes, it sounds like a completely different game. But also, if if it truly is meant to be a 3D um, version of Smash, that sounds pretty hard. Like to navigate your character in that quick twitch fighting game, you know, control moveset that you need to do in a smash game in 3d feels impossible like i can't even jump in 3d (laughs) so i don't know i'm pretty bad at smashing 2d so i i don't know about how that would be how accessible that would be to a lot of people the closest um game i've played to a 3d smash brothers is power stone have you ever played a power stone game Mm -mm. those are by capcom i think those were both dreamcast games they did two of them, I think. So maybe that's why those games were really fun. And they were very okay. like frantic kind of 3D, you know, pseudo fighting slash party games. I mean, we have talked so much about like, gosh, what, what more can you do with Smash Brothers? What can you do? And with this iteration, we're kind of at the end of like just throwing our hands up and be like, this is it. I mean, unless you want to just keep adding characters until there's no more characters left. Who knows? Like this could be the next big iteration. I don't know if I don't know if Sakurai's up for that. I don't know if he's got another one of these in him, just reinventing yeah. Smash Brothers. That'd be too but much. I wouldn't say it's completely impossible for them yeah. to at least think about it. Okay. It just sounds really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's my takeaways. Like this this is a completely different game. This is, you know, really starting from square one of how do you translate the core ideas of smash into 3d right i'm not a game designer is it possible or not some you know somebody would have to make that decision um but you know if if they're really feeling like they need to continue the series and and re you know re-deliver it to the world and in, in some new package might be worth a look yeah, yeah. maybe maybe old, maybe old pikmin sneezkov can take the helm of this one get the okay. baton from sakurai there you go. There we go. Do Good. it. Decided. Next question is from Phantom Cookie. Hi, Kit and Krista. I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about the games you've been playing this year. However, from my perspective as a viewer, it's definitely felt like a time crunch this year as you've had to get through massive games in only a couple of weeks just to keep up. As someone who prefers to take my time with games, I could get through at that pace, even if it were my job. My question to you both is, would you rather games released at a similar pace in 2024 or for it to be a lighter year for games? I would like it to be a a lighter year for big games because I think what we need is like more game variety or like good game variety, um, but breathing room between massive open world or huge hundred hour RPGs um, so that we can have a second to really 
fully play those games. Well, I think what we, yeah, I think what we need is I think the variety is there, but it's hard to get off that you know major release path. The yeah. stepping stones of like, all right, we finished this game, so it, you know, in time that we can play the next game, and it's really nice to have a little bit of a break in between games mm-hmm. to just dabble and try out some other stuff, and you know, that's, that's why I think saying. we, I think that's why we enjoy like this break that we have now because it's like, well, I'm going back to a game I played before, and you're kind of poking around and checking out some other stuff. I've been looking very closely at the Steam sale that's been happening over the break, and picking up a couple things here and there that I've been wanting to check out. So, but it, it is my nature to want to try as many games as possible. Yes. Whether I finish them or not kind of depends on my experience with the game. But I, I do think that's who I am at heart is like, I just want to try as many different games as I can. And if I like them, I'll finish them. But that, that can feel like a losing battle when there's so many games coming out. Yeah, I like to have breaks between the big games for palate cleanser games. Like, I want a chance to play, you know, slightly smaller um, smaller games, you know. Or I like, you know, for example, like, I like to have, like, specific summer vibes games um, to play for a very specific couple of months. Like, I like that kind of... Um, breathing room to do that but it was really hard last year because we had so many of these sort of big 100 hour games that were coming out in very quick succession so um while i was able to keep up and and i i think i did very well (laughs) playing all the games and giving every single game like my undivided attention at the time like i think i missed some of the smaller games along the way so i think i would have liked a little bit of a um just a break to do those yeah yeah VGM Life is next. Hi, Kit and Krista. The game of the year for 2022 was pretty obvious all year long. But if Elden Ring had released one year later, where would it have fallen in your 2023 ranking? I love a what if. It would be game of the year for me. I agree. agree. Elden Ring is that good. That game truly was something that I think surprised me so much. Um, and I've never played a game since Elden Ring that one has surprised me that much. Two has made me think about, you know, I thought, I thought nothing but Elden Ring for like six months. I've never done that with a game. You got stepped on by the fire giant for five of those six six months. months. Yeah. I watched so many YouTube videos (laughs) that my YouTube algorithm is forever changed (laughs) after Elden Elden Ring. (laughs) But I've just, I've never had that experience before. And and I did not have that experience again in 2023 with any of the games that we played this year. So yeah, I think it would be my game of the year. Yeah. As much as I love Baldur's Gate, I I agree with you. Yeah. Winner. Now give us the DLC, please. Yes. Oh, my God. I heard it's coming out next year. Greg Vogt has a question very similar to what Phantom Cookie was asking before. With Nintendo releasing so many first-party games compared to Xbox and PlayStation, do you feel that this can cause some titles to be overlooked or not get the attention that they deserve for being a good game? And if so, which games do you feel have been overlooked? Personally, I feel Cereza and the Lost Demon is a great game that has not gotten near the attention it deserves. Yeah, we again, we were just doing that, you know, top 23 Nintendo Switch games of 2023. And we came out with that list so fast. And there were even games that we had to leave off the list because there was that many good 
games on Switch. Um, that 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 game, uh, Cereza and the Lost Dragons, on our list. But both of us played a very small amount of that game because we were forced to put that down and move on to another game. But I, you know, that's a very good example of one that I think if I had more time, I would have played more. Um, but honestly, just didn't have time to do so. I do think that game's fate may have always been to be sort of a smaller cult classic, you know, knowing like Bayonetta is not like a sales juggernaut to begin with. And now mm-hmm. we're like remixing that series into more of a spinoff. I feel like you're taking niche and getting even more niche with that. But yeah, you know, the, on the flip side, you have something like WarioWare, which seems to have completely come and gone yeah. and was really a victim of, of coming out like very shortly after Mario wonder. So, you know, we, we keep talking about this, like picking release dates is critically important to, you know, letting your game have a chance to be successful. But Nintendo's in this position now where they've, you know, once they combined the handheld and console dev teams, like their output is really prodigious. Like they can make a lot of games. Mm -hmm. And I think they also still have this mindset of like, hey, we can't just rely on third parties. We can't always assume they're going to be there. I think they still have the trauma from From all those previous generations of like, we got to, we might have to do this ourselves. Yeah. And and we and we will do it ourselves if we have to. We can carry right. this thing with we just our stuff. It. They can. Right. So Facts. this is I mean, this is how they end up with games just in their back pocket for a rainy mm-hmm. day of like, oh yeah, yeah, it's time to put out this. Let's do that. Great. Yeah. Which is a yeah. good problem to have, I guess. Exactly. I think yeah. so too. Just gotta get a little savvier with some of those other ones. Vidge Michter is next. As I've grown older, I've gotten less and less comfortable with the term gamer. While I do enjoy video games a lot and play them at times I'm free to do so, I don't think I would truly consider myself to be a gamer. The term seems to have some negative connotations to it, kind of like how in Japan a person being considered by peers as an otaku isn't great for the person's private, social, and even professional life. When I lived and worked there, I made certain not to really bring up my interest in video games with coworkers. Being labeled as a gamer could possibly have meant ridicule from them and losing face. Though Satoru Iwata proudly called himself a gamer, you two might feel different. What are your thoughts on the term, its meaning, and being labeled as one from others? I feel like the term gamer used to have a much more negative connotation. But I feel like it's gotten better over the years. Like for 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 like the, you know, earlier in my career when I was working at Nintendo, um when you would use the term gamer or when you would label something gamer, you did have sort of that image of in your head of some guy living in his mom's basement and just in the dark, you know, playing, playing video games and has no friends and it's really sad. Um, But I don't know. I feel like these days that that's not the connotation anymore. I feel like the, maybe it's like the, more wide acceptance of video games as entertainment versus this like very niche hobby that people have um, that has made it feel less isolating. Um, And also maybe like now that there's a lot of games in existence, like a Fortnite, where it's a very social experience, like people recognize that if you're playing games, you're actually like interacting with all your friends and this is the way that you have a social experience so it's not as lonely as before 
Um, so now I don't think that term carries such a negative um, connotation, but I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. It may be less negative, but I would still like for it to go away. But we might be so far down that path that it just may stick around because, yeah. I mean, not everybody is playing like 18 hours of Fortnite a day. Some people are, but other <laughs> people are playing, you know, an hour of Suica game every night. And that's very different. <laughs> so it's just like people, you know, there are people who are called, oh, this person's a cinephile. This person watches, you know, movies on their home theater every night, blah, 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 you know, all of that stuff. And then there's, you know, you who's sitting down to watch a trashy Netflix movie. Hey! Uh, I would not call you a cinephile. I could be a cinephile. Like, if everybody is enjoying games now, the amount of people who qualify to be gamers is actually probably pretty small, yet that term gets applied to everybody. True. Which I don't like. So I would never, I would never identify as a gamer i would never hello nice to meet you my name's kid i'm a gamer i would never i would never do that i think the term's a little cringy but it, it kind of is what it is i guess i don't really love labels in general so i don't think that we should be identified as like these three labels because your personality and who you are is so what are the three more. labels i don't know it's like fake gamer girl is that your hey. three labels <laughs> If only you were in person, I, so I, I could slap that, you. That's why I can get. These, <laughs> that's why you're doing it here. I can get these I lines have, off now. I don't have dual blades right now to <laughs> to use against you. I can you. crack wise with impunity. Oh, I'll remember the safety this. of home. January second, I will remember this. <laughs> File it away. Um, but yeah, I feel like your personality has so many facets. You as a person has so many. It's true. Late. You're an yeah. onion. You're like an ogre. Oh, um, and. Uh, Onions of layers. So you shouldn't be labeled that, you know, by like one thing because that right. does not identify who you are as a person. Right, right. So. All right. Our last question is from Banana Bread Slice. And it's a very important one. Hey, guys, I have to ask Kit. You do this too. Why do you pronounce Spider-Man like it's someone's last name? Spider-Man. It always makes me think of this bit from Friends. I don't watch yes. Friends, so I don't know what this is. But we say We say Spider-Man. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I don't Why know. Why do we do this? Uh, I think for me, it is an homage to the classic days of Giant Bomb, where I think they often said that. And they would also do things like, say, swor- sword, like sword. Sword? Yes. Sword? Fun pronunciations are just that. They're fun. I recommend They're funny. them. funny. Yes. yes. It's yeah, funny. It's, like some, it's somebody's last name, like Spiderman and Goldman. <laughs> Batman, Batman, Superman. Superman. All of these. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Give it a Joe try. Joe <laughs> Give it a try. You might like it. Okay. It's time for my big surprise <gasps> for you it? that I have uh, been teasing. So it's the Sorry. last podcast of the year. Yes. I made a list of some of the great things that we did this year that maybe you no. forgot about. No. It was a great uh, exercise for me to go through. I'll just read it. I'll read some of these off to you. Okay. That's <clears throat> nice. So we did. Sonic Week, Zelda Week, and Mario Week, all this year. Sonic Week started as a joke. Right. But it became like a cool thing thing. that we could apply to these other franchises. Right. Great. We launched the Kit and Krista controller. 
Great. Yes, did. And be sure to check out um, Captain Alex's newest with Ant Dude, who is a wonderful Which friend of ours. Which looks fantastic. Yes. Yeah. We attended the Mario movie premiere. Who would have thought? We're never going to forget that. Waiting to get uninvited in the minutes before, before. we walked up to the venue. <laughs> incredible, incredible moments. Uh, we did big live panels at PAX and Portland Gaming Expo. I was terrified for Super both. fun. You got over your fears. Great. We hosted the Disney Dreamlight Valley Showcase. Never thought that would have happened. That was fun. That was super fun. We got, got to, to go to Montreal for right. that too, which is so cool. Right. We um, expanded our business into consulting and we helped to launch a lot of really great products along we the did. way. Super fun. We moved into a new studio out of your mom's spare bedroom. <laughs> And finally, we passed 10 years of creating content together. How special. We did? You didn't know that? What are you calculating? What kind of calculate? Huh? What kind of maths are you doing? We made a big deal about this. I think this was in May. We made a big deal about this. You've forgotten. Great. I have. Oh. <laughs> what the <Okay>. heck? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of math is this? Well, there we go. Boy math? Not Good. See, math. At, least, at least there was one that you had forgotten about. What a great year it was. Wow. We did have a great year. That's a lot um, of stuff. I mean, that's in addition to the, you know, never missing a week of a podcast or Mm -hmm. all the other stuff. Yeah, that's true. We had a great year because of all of you supporting us is how we are able to keep doing this. And we love doing this. So, yeah, this is a, a huge testament to our wonderful community that keeps us going. And again, I'm very optimistic about 2024. I think it's going to be a really fun year. Switch to is going to come out. Oh, I just sneezed. Sorry. Um, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm excited. It's going to be good. Aren't you excited? I'm very excited. And it's okay. a great segue for us to shout out some of our wonderful Patreon supporters, starting with our superstars. Let's do it. Let's go. Aaron Hash. Ben Icorn. Mara Mayhem. Eigenverse. Kiss My Flapjack. Mike Chin. Roy Eschke. Switching Up, up Underscore. Safazon. VGM Life. Link, the hero of wins. Angela Bycroft and her pig Molly. Thomas O'Rourke. Kyle LaBeouf. Roberto Nieves. Frederick Ulf Conradson. Andrew Uhas. Chili. Bruce Dash. And Rain Tech. Yay! Special wish a special uh, happy 2024 to Molly. <gasps> Molly, Molly's doing good in 2024. That's I right. Can tell. Yes, Rain Tech also just had a birthday too. So happy, birthday. happy birthday! Birthday to Rain Tech. Um. All right. Shall we shout out some One Up Club members? Let's do it. A Ron Burgundy. Ale Alejandro. Astro Dev. Awesome Forty Six. Bad Moon Horizon. Benji B. Blue Yellow Gray. Bookum Dano. Bookishly Fab. Brooke Obscura. Brovac Novak. Cameron. Chelly Squirrel. Christopher Lay. Captain Alex. Crimcat. Sea Roper 17. Cynical Squid. Dachshund. Doinko. Dolce. Dino Punch. Elite Peach. Espars 50. Farpree 69. Fairbound. Frenny Jess Forever. Fox Deploy. Garrett Hallfish. Garth the Wolf. Gartooth. G Sun 101. Heroic. Iris Marin. Jay Rando. Jabroni Jones. Jeffrey Hernandez. Jerry 92602. Jesse Hernandez. John Responte. Jonathan Rowe. Jordan Collette. Jordan Hemmerly. Juji Fruit. Jess Camtro. Justin Leminger. 
Kawa2796. Keith Kwan. Kevin Delane. Kilo Kibo. Christorati Kid. Christopia Party with me. Kyle Gamerberry Rookie. Kyle Kretzer. Linnell Stickman. Lazy Cat for Coffee. Lex. Lit. Macho Potato. Mad Dog 5981. Magnificent EZG plus Cali Marie. Marky Man 64. Mario Man 392. Mecha Dragon 101. Medallion 2889. Megan. Michael Cravens. Mikey. Motomania. Mr. Andy Pong. Mr. Beans and Dip. MSM Poke Gamer. My Tran. Nasir. Nathan Burkhart. Nick. Ninja 11. Panda Buns. Pangy. Paul C. Pace. Paul Gale Network. Prime Factor. Prince Charmless. Reaver. Ryth One. Rob Osborne. Rocks. Rianetta. Sharif Jackson. Sheer Cold Vanille. Shinryu. Slowbro. Schnozzle. Spicy Munchkin. Steel Citrone. Tales of Link. Tech Magic. The Shark Among Men. Thomas Alvarez. Three Rivers. Tim Vacanti. Tover Schmofer. Travis Torline. Trajawi. Tugs Puppy Bear. Tuscoop. Tyler Geis. Vesves. Video Game Stupid. Viridia. Virtual Bot. Weeb Kingdom. WG Grizzy. What Up Khalil. Wicked Davey. Will Johnson. Zudiverf. Zelgra. Zapati. And Zroid. Wow. What an ending to the last podcast of 2023. How exciting. Again, thank you again so much to our wonderful Patreon family for keeping us going all year long. If you'd like to join us, we are patreon.com slash Kit and Krista. We'll put the link below. Hope you'll join us in our lovely community. Have you made the 2024 folder on your computer yet? I don't even have a 2023 folder. What? I just keep going. Just roll into the next year. Oh, wow. Self-proclaimed organizational genius just exposed. I guess I could do that, but every, I would recommend it. Labeled by episode. Is I haven't episode? done it yet. I haven't done that yet, though. Oh, but that's how you know it's real. When you make that 2024 folder, it's like, yeah, oh. here we go. Okay. Anyhow, if you're watching on video on YouTube, you can go ahead and subscribe. Give this video a thumbs up and leave us a comment. If you're listening on audio, you can also subscribe. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review, if you please. And we're on the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads. Whoa. That's it. Nice. We're wrapping it up. This Happy is New it Year, everybody. For 2023. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2024. We love you all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.